I want to look at Second Peter chapter 1 again. I'm, I'm finished with the graces as far as that's concerned, but there's a uh, phrase at the end of that chapter that is really beautiful. And so I want to preach on that for just a minute, and it works out well that today is the day we had our Gideons with us to talk about the Scriptures. So Second Peter chapter 1, and read verse 16 through the end, reads as follows, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, and when we were with Him in the holy mountain. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto the light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the day star arises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Uh, many translations will say that uh, instead of move, they will say carried along. And that, that idea is certainly within the scriptures there, that they were carried along. And so I want to talk about this section for just a minute uh, today. And I'll, again, try and be brief because we appreciate the word that uh, we heard today. We go back to the top. We see here, and I won't give you another summary of the first part of this chapter. I feel like I've done that every week. Hopefully you know it well by now, and hopefully you've begun to put these graces as a uh, focus of your life and are considering whether you're growing in these as you should be. And so I'll leave that uh, apart and aside. Um, but again, we look at verse 16, and we are reminded here that the power that Peter's talking about, it says, we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we may known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of uh, his majesty. And this is a very important thing that we need to understand. And again, one of the things that I appreciate from what I do know about the Gideons, and especially Brother uh, Philip, when he comes and talks, and we talked the first time before you came, and I made it abundantly clear um, that it's the power of God and the word of the scriptures that saves people. And I can sit down. <laughs> Right? It's the power of God working through the scriptures that brings men and women to repentance and is uh, what teaches them and shows them how they should live and how they need to seek after God and how they can be saved. It's not uh, a, a program. It's not a fairy tale. It's not really wise sayings. It's not in my infinite wisdom or in any man or woman's infinite wisdom that can explain something. No, it is in fact in the power of God and the power of God so often rests solely and squarely in the scriptures, in what we have formed today as the Bible. This is fundamental to who we are and what we are as believers in Jesus Christ, as Baptists. We follow and believe that this is the Holy Word of God, that it is without error, and it is true, and it is inspired by God, written through the pen of man to us, to tell us and to teach us both how we are wrong and how we should live, to tell us how we have been separated from God and how we can come back into fellowship with God through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And from cover to cover, that is the theme and message of the scripture, from old all the way to new, from Genesis to Revelation. It's about our fall and about our redemption that is possible only through the work of our Lord and Savior. It says it is not a cunningly devised fable. It is not something that was made up. It's not some type of trickery. I really do not encourage you doing this. I think the best way to know the truth is to study the truth. But if you were to look at some other religions, some other faiths, or some other faiths who claim to be like ours but seem to have supplementary texts, these are cunningly devised fables. These are not true. They are not accurate. They are not the Word of God. And they are taking liberty in areas that they ought not to. And the Scripture warns us not to do that. This you can go back and reference Titus 1.14. It says, Pay no attention to Jewish myths or the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. You see, we have a duty and a responsibility as believers to make sure that we're following the truth. That we're not listening to those who come up with really fancy things or um, tickle our ears with what we want to hear. Or who tell us the commands of men and make them the commands of God. There is clear calling for us to know the scripture and to be obedient to it and to follow it. We're also reminded in this first verse that we're made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that power is really important. And really, when we think about it, that is part of what is in the scripture is the power of God. It is amazing. The scripture says as much, and it's amazing for us as well, that you all came today to stand here and listen to me. Why? What is there that I'm going to tell you that you may not have heard before? What is it that I'm going to tell you that isn't in the Scripture? Well, almost nothing. What you're seeking, whether you know this or not, is the power of God in your life. You are wanting God to move in your life to tell you what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. To remind you or to encourage you or maybe to tell you for the first time that God loves you and He loves you so much He doesn't want you to stay the way that you are. He wants you to grow in Him. I have nothing to tell you. I have nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes is perfectly accurate when he says there is nothing new. Everything I may tell you has been said before. The only thing that separates it is whether or not the power of God is witnessing forth in your life into your spirit through my mouth. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because I practiced this and rehearsed this and wrote it all out. It's because the power of God is living and active in the scriptures and in your hearts. And we want a time and an opportunity for those things to come together where you can know Jesus Christ. It's the power of God that does those things. We turn to 1 Corinthians and just remind us here, even the Apostle Paul says the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellence of speech or wisdom, Declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's not my job to try and fool you. It's not my job to try and trick you. It's my job to simply be an instrument, however 
much I struggle to let God's power come through, and that comes through the Word and through the Spirit. I'm not here to try and trick you. I'm not here to try and conjole you into doing something. I'm simply here to tell you, as best I can, what is true, what the Scripture says, and to rely on God's power to be the one who moves among you. Now, the rest of this few verses here, once we get past this idea of the power, and we talk about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. What did Peter get to eyewitness? Well, he got to witness what we call today the transfiguration. It's counted in several of the Gospels. I'm going to read out of Matthew today, Matthew 17, just to put us into context of what's being discussed here. Matthew chapter 17, this is uh, the end of 16 all the way to 17. I mean, we could preach again for days on this. We'll just quickly remind us that only a few uh, verses before um, in the 16th chapter, Peter is making the great confession. Who do you say that I am is what Jesus asked. And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. Then a few verses later, Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter is trying to disrupt the work that God has ordained to occur through Jesus Christ. And that is an interesting warning for us, but again, not today's topic. And then only a few verses later, we see that Jesus Christ takes the three closest disciples he has, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up on a high mountain. Let me read in verse seven, uh, chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up to a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment, or you could say his clothing, was as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. And Peter, and then, answer, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you will, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Eliza. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and they were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and fear not. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Can you imagine being put in that situation? Can you imagine Jesus Christ taking you and say, hey, the three of you come with me. We're going to go up to a mountain. And they go up there, and I would only imagine they begin to pray or to worship. And Jesus is transfigured, transformed. There they get to see a glimpse of who he truly, truly is. It says his face began to shine like the sun, and his clothes were white as light. And we see the purity that is Jesus Christ. We see this idea that he is, in fact, the light of the world. That Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the light. We can go all the way to the end and we find that after the world passes away and behold, all things become new, there is light. And it's Jesus Christ. We can go all the way to the beginning and see that there was light before there was sun. Who is that? It is Jesus Christ. And there for just a few moments, they get to glimpse the glory that is Jesus Christ and see him transformed into who he truly is. And they do what any man would do and they follow their face and they worship and so Peter is reminding those that he's writing to he's like I saw this I was there I heard what God said 
I am a witness, a direct witness to you that this in fact happened, that this Jesus is not a cunning fable. This isn't a tale. This isn't something I made up. This is in fact the Son of God. And God witnessed to me and and to others who His Son is and blessed Him, saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Do what He commands you. Wouldn't you like to have been there? You ever talk to anybody? Or maybe you at some point yourself has said, you know, if God would just reveal himself to me, then I would believe. It would seem easier, wouldn't it? Almost seems like, well, you couldn't help it at that point. I've heard people say that before. I'm sure you have too. But let me point something out in here. So Peter's reminding us that he was an eyewitness. That God uh, glorified Jesus Christ the Son, told us to, uh, that he was well pleased because Christ had perfectly obeyed the commandment and continued to until his death. The voice reminded us that we're to obey him. But look at what Peter, who witnessed this, who was there firsthand, says later about in verse 19. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. You know what's better than seeing Jesus transfigured? this. Think about that for a minute. As much as it would be phenomenal for once in my life, now I'll get to do it later, but for once in my life to stand before the Almighty God and see Him in His perfect glory and to see others with Him and to bow down and worship, Peter says, you know what's better? Having the Word of God. Why is that? Is it because the Word of God is superior to Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. It's because you know what I get to do every day, anytime I want to? I get to read this. Peter got to see it once. I get to hear every day, every moment that I desire to open this Word or listen to it being read to me, or in any way I can know the Scripture, I can study it, I can see it, I can hear it. Peter got to once hear the voice of God and had to remember it for the rest of his life. You see, the Word of God is an amazing thing that He has given us. And the power of God through the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us to teach us and to guide us. And we can go to it any time we want. I don't have to trust my memory. What did God say that time? Did I remember that right? I don't have to go to John and say, John, did I remember this the right way? Is that what he really said? No, I can go to the Word of God and open it up anytime I want to, which is why we have a more sure word of prophecy. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's powerful. Well, just how powerful is it? Well, the Scripture tells us. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, let's just make two of those things real, real plain here. Can you always tell the difference between what you're thinking and what you're intending? Like even in my own heart, I don't know that I can do that very easily sometimes. Sometimes I can think about something and know I don't intend to do it, but it's not always real clear. What about the difference between soul and spirit? Well, we could have a long study on that, couldn't we? But the Word of God, the Scripture, is quick, it's powerful, it's sharp, it's living, and it can tell the difference between the spirit and the soul. It can tell the difference between what I'm thinking and what I'm intending to do. What's that the difference in? Sin, often. The Word of God is powerful, it is sharp, 
It is something that we must have. It is the power that we have to have. What kind of power is it? Where's the power that shines light in a dark place? You see, we've been talking for months now, probably close to a year, about how dark this world is getting. We have pointed out over and over again all of the problems that we have in our society, all of the challenges that we have within our families, all of the concern that we have over this idea that something is true or right is being completely eroded away and we cannot trust what others say. We cannot trust our culture or our society. We have a seriously serious problem. And you know what that problem is? That problem is darkness. It's the absence of light. It's the absence of truth. And what we are being told here is that we have a more sure word of prophecy and we do well to obey it as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. See, we have the truth. And that truth is the word of God. Living, active, powerful. And what we do is we take that word of God and we take it with us. And wherever the word of God is, there is light because there is truth. No matter how many words it is, no matter how few words it is, whether we can quote it verbatim accurately or just summarize and say, I know somewhere the scripture says something about this. And if you read the scripture, you'll see the men of God did the same thing sometimes. Somewhere in scripture it says, and they'll quote something. The point is that the scripture was inside of them, that they lived it, that they wanted to know it, that they relied on its power because it is the light in the dark world. You know what's not the light in the dark, dark world? Committees. You know what's not light in the dark world? Lots of planning. You know what's not light in the dark world? Lots of, uh, I'll call it, frenetic activity. Doing something for Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. It's a very important distinction. The power that comes in the light of the dark world is actually the Word of God. The single uh, priority that should be had for any type of ministry or anything that we go out and do is the Word of God. End of story. Because... Sharing that, whether it's in a motel room or on a college campus, whether that's you quoting it to someone who knows that you're quoting it or quoting it to people who don't know that you're quoting it, the power of God resides in that. And the light is there and being spread inside of a dark, dirty world. We're not making this up. We're not lying. We're not trying to be clever. We're simply Relying on the word of God. What did Jesus do when he's tempted? He quoted scripture. What did so many men do when they're tempted in the scriptures or having a hard time? Though they quote scripture. Brothers and sisters, if we want to be prepared in this world and we feel like it's dark around us, we should rely on scripture. Scripture. It is the most important thing for us to study. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein to do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place. Well, how long is it going to shine on the dark place? It seems like it's getting darker, doesn't it? Seems like it's getting darker. Maybe that's because we need more Bible reading. Maybe it's because we need more Bibles. Already far and away, the 
most printed book ever in existence by many, many magnitudes. Nothing will ever, ever catch its place, and nothing should. But you know what? We've got to read it. We've got to open it. We have to use it. We have to know it. And we do that until the day dawns and the day star arises in your heart. What are we talking about here? How long do we do this thing? Until the light breaks through the gloom and the morning star rises in your heart. So who's the morning star? Jesus. Revelation 22. The bright and morning star. How long should I be reading the Bible? Until he comes back and gets me. How long should you read the Bible? Until you go to meet him. How long should this be something that you cherish? Until you get there. I told you all, my grandfather was a small um, Baptist church minister for years in Iowa, different places. And I so remember as a kid going over to his house. They lived around the corner when they got older. And um, I go over there. And every time I walk in the door, what's on his lap? One of these. How many times did he read it? Who knows? Covered in handwriting. I've preached from it before and I've showed you before. That's just one of them. That's the last one he had. I have three or four of them. Every, every square inch in that Bible is covered in handwriting. He'd cut little things out that he'd study. He'd stick them in there and he'd draw lines and he'd say, see page such and such. He devoted his entire life to knowing this book. Why? Because it's where the light is. It's where the truth is. And if we want to go out into a dark world and be at all what we should be, which is reflecting the light of Jesus Christ, then we must know the truth because that is the only thing that is going to set us free. And you cannot know the truth unless you are in the truth. Someday, day will dawn and the day star will come back. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that we don't need the scripture when we go to heaven. But I tell you what, I may not know about that, but I know we need it now. I know we need it now. But here's the part that I want us to pay a little bit of attention to. Because here's the part, as I was reminded by a conversation last night, so few of us actually know. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. First, I just want to clarify what this verse doesn't mean. It's been misused for thousands of years. It doesn't mean that you can't read the scripture on your own. It doesn't mean that you can't have a new translation of the Greek and Hebrew and Arabic and, and those types of things or from the Latin. It doesn't mean that you can't study the scripture. What it means, I think very importantly, is that the scripture says exactly what it says. And our job is to bend ourselves and conform it to its truth, not to our opinion. It's very easy for us to get very lazy and want to say, well, this scripture over here, it might mean this, and therefore I'm going to use that scripture to support my actions or behaviors or beliefs. Brothers and sisters, the scripture says what it says is true. Whether we like it or not is not of our concern or opinion. 
And this becomes clear with the next verse. For the prophecy came not in the old times by the will of man, but by the holy men of God, spake as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. Moved along, carried along, borne along. That phrase is actually used to describe how a ship would sail in the wind. See, the wind pushes the ship. It's the only way to move a large one, especially in this time. And so they relied on the wind to move the ship. And so when we think about the scriptures that we have here, both not only what Peter wrote down, but also other aspects and all aspects of the book that I hold before you today, one of the most important things that we must remember and must remember all the time is that this is the inspired word of God. The scripture literally says that he breathed it out. That God told various men, over 40 of them we think, what to write down. And they did. And they were obedient to what God had for them to record. Now we see certain personalities expressed in these books, don't we? Paul certainly writes differently than others. And Luke The physician who recorded both Luke and Acts is unbelievably accurate, both in date and time and location. Imagine that. Somebody highly trained as a physician would be accurate about when they were somewhere and where they were at. We see beauty in this. And we see variation. But let us remember what the scripture is telling us here that is of utmost importance, that this is the inspired word of God. This is not something that one man made up or that 40 men got together and made up. This is something that God himself over hundreds of years told men to write down. And as it is written, it is not contradictory with each other. And we see the amazing theme from beginning to end of a perfect, holy God who loves us, our failure repeatedly, the need to send Jesus Christ, the one who is perfect, who is God and is man, to come into the world, to die a martyr's death on our behalf, for us to put our faith in him so that we can be reunited with him, and then at the very end, God will win. You think across a thousand years, three continents and 40 men, we got them all to agree on that? Not a chance. We couldn't get 40 men to agree in a color. And that shows you the power of God. It shows you that God intended for us to have a written word to represent him, the light in the dark world, the way that he would use the power of God himself is through the scriptures until they are fulfilled. What we have here is what we have, and we are to know it and to love it and to put it in our minds and put it into practice to teach us, to guide us, to call us out when we're wrong, to give us encouragement when we're down, to tell us the direction to go. And brothers and sisters, it is so important that we understand this. And when someone tells you, well, I don't really think that's true, don't nod your head and go along with them. Stand with what the truth is. It's the inspired word of God. What's that mean? He spoke it. He breathed it. He instructed the men who were carried along by what God wanted them to do. Now, I've never been inspired to write scripture. In fact, I don't think that will happen again. I think, as we would say in the 
technical term, the canon, or the complete work of the scripture is closed. There is no new scripture. But I have certainly been carried along by the Lord, have you? Moved to do something, to say something, to refrain from saying something, when you know it was God who directed you, when you know that you said something and said, I don't know where that came from, when someone challenged you and maybe you quoted scripture and said, I don't even remember that I knew that. God still wants to carry us along if only we would be obedient and listen to what he has for us. If only we would look unto him, the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. Let me read one more scripture and I'll come to a close. 2 Timothy 3.16. I apologize, brother. I'm sure these are verses you hear preached after you get done every time you go somewhere, but such as it is. 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You want to be successful in life? Know the scripture. You may not be successful the way that men measure it, but you will be successful. From a child, you've known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. That wise into salvation is the greatest thing you could ever have. Not wise in wisdom in the world. It doesn't say know the scripture and you'll be rich. It doesn't say know the scripture you're going to have a great life. It says know the scripture, know the light of God, and you'll be what? Wise unto salvation. Which means you will have a relationship restored with God while you're here and an eternity with Him directly in the light with the morning star. The word of God is true. The word of God is true. Because God inspired men to write it down. Never ever budge from that truth. Always remember that truth. The word of God is true. Because God inspired it. And if it is true, and if it is inspired by God, what should we do? Read it and obey it. Go back to Peter real quick. We do this until the day dawns and the day star rises in your hearts. Let me ask you a very important question. Has the day dawned in your heart? Have you come to a point in your life when you realize who and what you are, which is a sinner separated from God, and that you've fallen to your face, and that you've worshipped the Most High, the Most Almighty, the Most Powerful God, and given up, and asked Him to save you by your faith, but by His grace. If you have come to that point, and then what has happened is, there's been a dawn, a daylight in your heart. And if you have not come to the point of salvation, then your heart is still what? It's still dark. Or to use another 
metaphor in other scriptures. It's hard and stony like a rock. God is desiring that we would be soft and open to what he has. God, although he is power and is all power, is still, if you will, uh, don't mind the metaphor, still a gentleman. He doesn't force his way. He asks. And what he's doing today is the same thing he's been doing since he made man. He is giving you the opportunity to have that bright and morning star, to have the day dawn in your hearts. And until you finally give up and seek him and allow him to change who you are, your heart is dark. It's hard. It's inhospitable. Because you have not allowed the power of God to teach you and to train you into the way of righteousness. You may know all the scriptures. You may have been a member. You may have been baptized. Brothers and sisters, until he changes your heart, you've gotten exactly nowhere. And so as we consider the word of God, as we go out today and we consider how we can encourage people around the world to know and to see the power of God through his word, let us not forget those brothers and sisters among us who do not yet know the word of God, who have not seen it. I'll leave you with one final thought. Do you know why they're called flashlights? It's because it used to be when they invented them, you couldn't leave them on for very long because the batteries died really quickly. And so what you did if you were using a flashlight is you'd flash it. Turn it on for just a second, see what's in front of you, turn it off. Walk a few feet, a few yards, turn it on again, see what's in front of you. If there's a large group of people walking in utter darkness and you're trying to get somewhere, what do you think you'd do if only one person had a light? You'd huddle together, wouldn't you? You'd want to be close. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you realize that the word of God, the light of God is here. Maybe you're huddling together with others who have the only source of light and truth in this world. Let us make sure that we continue to do that. Let us make sure that we realize that if you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, then you have a light. You don't have to turn it on and off because it works how long? Eternally. Because God is your eternal power source. It is always on. It is always accessible. There is no excuse if you know God to not have your light shining, to let other people come around you and to see the light and to help guide them until they can get their own. So, brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord, let us make sure our light that is Jesus Christ is shining. Don't go to work and hide it. Don't go to work. Don't go to school and hide it. Don't go do whatever you do and try and shrug it off. Stand firm in the power that Jesus Christ is the light. He is the truth. And you are the one who's not the blind one stumbling over your own feet. As the scripture says, if he'd be lifted up, he'll bring all men unto him. Let us use the light of the word of God 
to change the world through his power. And if you don't know the light today, it's time you did. It's time you consider your state. It's time you go to the light, to the truth, to what the scripture says. That you come and you confess before him and you seek him and beg for his forgiveness. And when he gives you that grace because of your faith, that you stand up because now you have that light in your heart. Let's have a hymn, a time to reflect, time to pray, time to be encouraged if that's what you need. A time for those who are separated from God, maybe to be a little discouraged and say, you know, I know that my heart is dark. Pray that you would seek the light. What number? 347. 347. Let's stand.